Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Mary Jo C. Grant, APRN, PhD, about the article, Dexmedetomidine Use in Critically Ill Children with Acute Respiratory Failure, published in the December 2016 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Dr. Grant is a pediatric critical care nurse practitioner in the Department of Pediatric Critical Care at Primary Children's Hospital in Salt Lake City, Utah. Welcome, Mary Jo. Thank you. Before we begin, do you have any disclosures to share? Yes, I do. I have used dexmedetomidine as a sedation agent in my practice in both the medical pediatric critical care unit and in the cardiac intensive care unit. Okay. Would you start by giving us an overview of the RESTORE trial? Yes. The RESTORE study sought to determine whether critically ill children intubated for respiratory failure managed with a nurse-implemented and goal-directed sedation protocol experienced fewer days of mechanical ventilation than patients receiving usual care. It was a cluster randomized trial that took place in 31 PICUs. It enrolled 2,449 children that were mechanically ventilated for acute respiratory failure. In this study, 17 sites used the protocol and 14 control PICUs managed sedation per their usual care. So your study on dexmedetomidine is using the data from the RESTORE study? Yes. Why did you decide to look at dexmedetomidine? Well, in the intervention group in the RESTORE study, dexmedetomidine was used on protocol, but it was limited to the peri-extubation period in children that were assessed to be intolerant to the awake state. However, we found that in the usual care group, dexmedetomidine was used in up to 37% of the patients in that group with a moderate amount of variability by site. So for that reason, we thought we would do an analysis of the dexmedetomidine use. And maybe we should just refer to it as dex going forward, since I think that's commonly used. Sure. So how did you do this particular study? So we had data on 2,449 patients. So the first consideration was the impact of the protocol on DEX use by site. And for that reason, most analysis focused on the usual care patients where DEX use was unrestricted. The first thing we did is in order to facilitate data interpretation, patients were categorized into one of four DEX usage groups. The first was DEX used as a peri-extubation agent, and that was defined as DEX initiated on the day of or the day before the first planned extubation. The second was DEX as a primary agent, and that was defined as DEX initiated within the first two days of intubation and administered for greater than or equal to 50% of the intubated days and not used as a peri-extubation agent. The third was DEX use as a secondary agent, and that was defined as dex use not as a peri-extubation or primary agent. And then the fourth group was dex never prescribed. So once we had all the patients categorized into those four categories, we looked at their sedation profiles, and this included their opioid and benzodiazepine exposure, the number of different sedative classes that they received, their measures of wakefulness, measures of episodic pain and agitation, and we also looked at sedation-related adverse events that were defined for the RESTORE study. So that included inadequate pain management, inadequate sedation management, and clinically significant withdrawal. 
overall. In the usual care arm, we described the frequency of DEX usage by groups by year and calculated the site variability for DEX use. So what did you find when you looked at all of the the different groups and the sites that you studied? So in total, we had, uh, in the usual care group, we had 596 patients that received dexmedetomidine. We found that dex is a primary and dex is a secondary sedative increased each year. And however, dex as a peri-extubation agent was used consistently through the four-year period. I can just go through and describe the findings in each of those subgroups, if you'd like. The first is the DEX as a primary agent. This was 138 patients. These were children with a lower median PRISM score and more children with asthma or reactive airways disease. The patients received DEX for a number of days. The median exposure was six days. And then they received it post-extubation for a median of two days. When you compared these patients with all other patients, those that were receiving DEX as a primary agent were exposed to significantly less opioids, but more sedative classes. We also found that the duration of mechanical ventilation was significantly shorter in the DEX primary group when compared to all other patients. When looked as a secondary agent, this was a group of 280 patients. This included more children with severe uh, PARDs and children with a greater number of organ dysfunctions on admissions. In these patients, DEX was initiated on day four post-intubation, and the duration of exposure was about four days, with uh, 27% of these patients receiving DEX as a post-extubation for an average of two days. Most of these patients were awake and calm with uh, good SBS scores on the first day after receiving DEX metatomidine. When you compared to all other patients, excluding the DEX primary patients, the DEX secondary patients were exposed to more opioids and more sedative classes. They had more sedation-related adverse events, specifically inadequate pain management and inadequate sedation management. And their duration of mechanical ventilation was longer when compared to all other patients, excluding the DEX primary groups. They experienced a longer recovery from acute respiratory failure, a longer duration of weaning from mechanical ventilation, longer PICU stays, and longer hospital stays. The third group, the peri-extubation group, was a group of 178 patients, and this included fewer patients with acute respiratory failure from sepsis and more asthma and reactive airways disease. So this was a cohort of patients that are typically known not to tolerate an awake and intubated state. The patients received deaths for an average of one day, and these patients were exposed to, had been exposed to more sedative classes when you compared to the DEX never used group. But the patients that received DEX as a peri-extubation agent did experience significantly shorter weaning from mechanical ventilation. The fourth group to talk about is the DEX use in the intervention group. And we found that uh, 287 or 23% of the intervention patients ever received DEX. It was prescribed as a protocol deviation 7% of the time. In these patients, the time to sedation target improved within one day of prescribing dexmedetomidine. 
So how do you interpret these results? I think you've got some fascinating findings, some of which support our common practice and some of which maybe not so. So how do, how, what do you do with these data? What are the clinical implications? I think there are, are a number of take-home points from this study in my mind. Our data described the use of deaths in pediatric intubated patients for respiratory failure. So it was limited to that patient cohort. But we did find that DEX use is increasing, and both as a primary and secondary agent in pediatric critical care, that clinicians are describing DEX as a primary sedative agent in children who are less critically ill, and that when used in the intervention group, when we had sedation targets that were set, the DEX resulted in more time within the prescribed sedation target. Adding DEX as a secondary agent didn't seem to add any benefit to these patients, and these are patients that were a little bit more difficult to to sedate. DEX was added later on in their course, and it didn't really provide any benefit. We found that when it's prescribed as a peri-extubation agent, it was used in patients who had a difficult sedation course in those patients that were known not to tolerate an awake state, intubated state, such as patients with reactive airways disease and asthma. But when it was described as a peri-extubation agent, it did shorten the ventilator weaning process. So if I understand you correctly, your study supports benefit in the peri-extubation use of DEX and probably with the primary use of DEX, but you were not able to show benefit with using DEX as a secondary agent. Yes, yes. I'd like to talk a little bit about those kids who got it as a secondary agent because we're, we're all faced with kids with respiratory failure who become increasingly difficult to sedate and we go up on our narcotics and our benzos and add additional agents and all kinds of things and we can't get them under control and so we throw in decks commonly. I think that's what you found in your study. If it's not of benefit in those kids, do you have suggestions for how we could or should manage those kids? Well, I think that, you know, in pediatric critical care, the ideal sedation agent would produce anxiolysis in a wide range of patient age groups and a wide range of developmental characteristics. It would preserve spontaneous ventilation and have a short half-life. I think that dexmedetomidine fits much of this in terms of its pharmacologic properties. But we really don't understand the symptoms that are characteristic of the, you know, sympathetic overactivity that have been reported on discontinuation of dexmedetomidine. I think that what we can do for those patients that are the difficult-to-sedate phenotype, that we can make certain that they're put into the best possible environment to promote sleep. We need to address the presence of painful stimuli and minimize the painful stimuli as best we can. We need to provide sleep-wake cycles to enhance their natural circadian rhythm and do things like cluster nursing cares in order to promote sleep. But we did find, like you said, that DEX was not useful in that difficult-to-sedate phenotype as when put in as a secondary 
agent, and that adding DEX into a sedative regime of complex patients that had two or more organ dysfunctions didn't result in any appreciable improvement in patient comfort, nor did it reduce the other sedative dosing. You made reference to the sympathetic overactivity when you stopped DEX. Was that included in the things you looked at in the study? Did you consider that as a sort of withdrawal syndrome? And how often did that occur and how was it managed? We knew the incidence of uh, iatrogenic withdrawal syndrome and presence in these patients um, by following their WAT1 scores, but we didn't see any relationship between dexmedetomidine use and the WAT1 scores. However, the WAT1 scores are is a scoring tool geared towards opioid withdrawal and not the type of withdrawal that we see with dexmedetomidine. So where do we go from here? What's our, what's our next step and what suggestions do you have for improving our care of kids who are intubated for respiratory failure in the PICU? So I think this manuscript would support the use of DEX as a primary agent and support the, its use as a peri-extubation agent, particularly in the difficult-to-extubate patient. The advantage of using DEX as a primary sedative agent in the low criticality patient is it offers the benefit of a rapid achievement of targeted sedation scores and awake patients whose comfort levels can better be assessed and rapidly managed by the nursing staff at the bedside. I think that it supports using DEX to facilitate extubation in children who are intolerant of an awake and intubated state and may abbreviate their ventilator weaning time. You found that we commonly use DEX as a primary agent in the kids who are less severely ill. I think your study reflects what we actually do. The fact that it was of benefit as a primary agent in that group, would you think that we should or could use it as a primary agent in the more severely ill children? I think that, yes, I think that it's something that we could um, begin to use in the more critically ill children. But again, that isn't the population that we found people were using deaths. As I said in the, the beginning, the use of deaths increased every year with a moderate amount of variability, site-to-site variability. And so there are institutions that are using more decks than other institutions. And I think that as time goes on and we develop a comfort level, then possibly there may be some benefit in the sicker patient. But uh, that isn't the way that we found DEX was being used in this study. Right. But I'm sure you're correct that as time goes on, it will be more and more commonly used. And one wonders if a later study looking at DEX as a primary agent for the more critically ill patient may or may not show benefit in that setting since, you know, historically we've kind of started with benzos and opioids and moved on from there. And maybe maybe starting with DEX might be a better way to go. I think that's an interesting question to look at in the future. Yes. Do you have any final comments you'd like to make? Yes, I would like to first acknowledge all 31 PICUs that participated in the RESTORE study. It's care of the hard work and dedication of the many nurses and principal investigators at those sites that made it possible to produce this manuscript. And I want to recognize Dr. Martha Curley, who is the principal investigator on the RESTORE study, just for her hard work and dedication and that she continues to ask these very difficult clinical questions in a very rigorous academic fashion. Well, thank you very much, Mary Jo.
We have been speaking with Dr. Mary Jo Grant from Salt Lake City, Utah, about the article Dexmedetomidine Use in Critically Ill Children with Acute Respiratory Failure, published in the December 2016 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Thank you for joining us today. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Mark your calendar to attend the 46th Critical Care Congress to be held January 21st to 25th, 2017 in Honolulu, Hawaii, USA. This five-day event will feature internationally renowned faculty and content sessions highlighting the most up-to-date, evidence-based developments in critical care medicine. Join more than 6,000 members of the critical care community in the island sunshine. Register at www.sccm.org slash congress. Margaret Parker, MD, MCCM, serves as an associate editor for the iCritical Care Podcasts. Dr. Parker is professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook Children's Hospital. A former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include severe sepsis and septic shock in children. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.